questions later. Oh, good. I was uh, going to the sensation Very good, very good. Okay, that, I don't know if you ever, everyone heard her, she said that, um, first she said that it was easier to focus just on the hand than on the hand and the arm together and so forth. But what she noticed is that there were no straight thoughts, that it was very easy to stay with the breath. I'm wondering how many of you noticed the difference in that regard, that your attention was more stable. you came back to just staying on the nose for the last 15 minutes we sat, did, did anyone notice that that was more, was, was particularly stable? Mm -hmm. And did you notice that, uh, did any of you notice that you were less aware than usual of background noises and sensations and maybe fewer thoughts and things like that? So this is, uh, what we did partially was to, uh, the, the method is called experiencing the whole body with the breath. We just did the upper body. We could have expanded that to include the legs, and then we could have spent a period of time experiencing the whole body with the breath. Um, in the... Buddha's original teaching on this meditation technique, the, uh, you'll have seen the lines in the handout. He said, experiencing the whole body while breathing in, he trains himself. Experiencing the whole body while breathing out, he trains himself. And this makes a very good technique to help to, uh, to make the mind to, to increase the power of your mindful awareness. And it's also a very good technique to move you in the direction of single-pointedness. You notice fewer thoughts, less awareness of other sensations and sounds and things like that. That's the way this can be used. No one really knows for sure uh, when the Buddha spoke these lines. Uh, nobody knows for sure today whether he was referring to the fact that as, as our skill in meditation develops, this is something that tends to spontaneously happen. Or if he was suggesting that it be used as a technique, the way that, uh, the way that I use it. But in, in the uh, lineage of practice that I come from, it, the fact that there's a change in the way he uses the words when he gets to here, he has the words, he trains himself. So we take it to mean that it was not, he was not just describing something that happens, although it does happen even if you don't want, even if you don't attempt to make it happen. Uh, but that it can be used and is a very powerful tool. And so in the fifth and sixth stages of the training, 
in particular, we make use of experiencing the whole body with the breath in order to uh, bring up the level of mindful awareness and, and therefore overcome subtle dullness and even establish a higher level of awareness than before. And also in the sixth stage, use it for, uh, for arriving at a much more single-pointed stage to help train the mind in being exclusively focused on whatever it is you chose to focus on. You know, uh, the word single-pointed is typically used ekegata, and, and uh, that, that means literally single-pointed. But the idea is that your focus is becoming exclusive. Nothing has really happened to the sensations you don't pay attention to anymore, uh, except that um, they're no longer present in your awareness. You know, it's not like your body's become numb or you've lost the ability to hear. But you're just disregarding those uh, sensations uh, more than before. Uh, and likewise, the thoughts, the thoughts really do seem to, to become much, much fewer. And when they do come, they're sort of fainter and, and more distant. So that's how this method is used. It's good, though, that it, it helps to illustrate, uh, give you an experience of some of the things that happen as the training progresses. Let's talk about the fourth stage a little bit. Now, in the fourth stage, you're continuously aware of the meditation object, but it's not always at the focus of your attention. Sometimes other distractions have intruded, and you're more aware, you're paying more attention to some stray thought that's appeared than you are to the sensations of the breath. Or perhaps you're paying more attention to the sound of the dog barking next door than you are to the sensations of the breath. But you haven't lost awareness of the sensations of the breath. There's still that continuity. And so the practice that you're doing is recognizing whenever this has happened, whenever a subtle distraction, instead of being subtle and in the background, become a gross distraction, it's moved to the, or to the center of the focus of your attention. And when you're aware of that, then you just refocus and you're back where you want to be. And you do that until, uh, until the attention no longer tends to drift in this way. The same, at the same time, in the fourth <coughs> stage, there is this tendency sometimes for the mind to develop strong dullness. And at the point of strong dullness, there will be a dreamlike distortion of the uh, meditation object of the breath, so that you're perceiving it as something it really isn't. Have you all experienced that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Could you describe the dreamlike What's that? Could you describe the dreamlike Yes, I, I can try to. The breath becomes something else, and the kind of things that it become are, they're, they're quite bizarre and not necessarily logical. Sometimes the breath, instead of the breath, you'll find yourself uh, semi-dreaming that you're watching waves you know, come into the shore and go back out, which is, that's a kind of, that's, that's more logical than what's typical. Know, more, but it'll be like a, 
like a little mini dream in which you're seeing or hearing or experiencing something happen that has some qualities in common with the breath, but it's not really the breath anymore. Your mind is, it, it's, 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 um, uh, it's, it's distorted, it's streamlined. Is that, have you experienced that now that you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And sometimes it's just, sometimes it's not so distinct as, as being something other than it is. It's just the kind of distortion that you're watching something and you're, there's so much dullness present that you're not even sure what it is you're watching and you have to sort of struggle and, and wake yourself up to, to even know what it is you're doing. You're, you're doing it, but you're doing it in a half asleep. I, I gather from the head nods that most of you know what I'm talking about, okay? And, and those of you that haven't, um, you'll probably recognize it. But that, this is a very strong dullness. You know, the dullness is strong enough that there is this kind of distortion taking place. Anyway, in the fourth stage, the same as you're guarding against the, uh, some other thought or awareness, displacing the meditation object, you're also guarding against the uh, slipping into this strong dullness and you bring yourself back. And how does this, how does it happen that you're able to do this kind of correction and be aware of this? It is a kind of expansion of your awareness. And I've called it introspective awareness because it has that quality of being aware of what's going on in your mind rather than being outwardly focused, like, for example, on the sensations of the breath. You can become so involved in the sensations of the breath that you're not really aware of what's happening in your mind. And when you're too absorbed, and I'd like to use that word, when you're too absorbed in the sensations of the breath at this stage, you're very vulnerable to something else slipping in. When you become too absorbed in the breath, some little sneaky thought will come up and gradually go larger and larger and larger until it's there in the middle of your awareness and it's kind of pushed the breath to the side. Experience that? Other times you're very focused on the breath and all of a sudden some, it just, it's like catches you by ambush. It grabs your attention you're gone, and afterwards you're not even sure how it happened. You just know it happened all of a sudden. And after uh, you know, after a, a few moments, whatever, you, you realize what's happened, and and you let go of that thought, and you go back to the breath. So sometimes they sneak in, and sometimes they're like ambush. And sometimes they're by seduction. Here you are, you focus on the breath, and this really interesting thought keeps coming up and you kind of ignore it. And it keeps coming up and you feel yourself drawn over towards it. And then you get a little bit lax in your vigilance and the tension goes over to it. So, But you're aware that there's an attractiveness to it. That some part of you really would rather be thinking that thought. So this is how it happens. But what's 
to become aware of this. This is really when you can stay focused on the meditation object for a period of time. And so even in the third stage, you'll start to experience this. But in the fourth stage, it is really what's mainly happening is you, you're aware of what I call the inner landscape of the mind, the other things that are going on. And the degree to which you can stay aware of what's going on, you can very quickly catch any tendency for for the, for the mind to shift. For, you can't really do much about the ambush thoughts except catch them as soon as you've been ambushed and get away. But the sneaky ones, you can catch those and you can just focus in a little more and keep them from intruding. And the seductive ones, you can recognize that they're there and you can just increase your, your, your focus on the meditation object and let them be until they go away. And the dullness, you can sense it coming on before it becomes strong dullness and you can just brighten up the, the perception of the meditation object. But this is all the result of a very distinct increase in the, in the power and the quality of your awareness and the direction of it. Because now it's partly directed at, at experiencing what's actually going on in your mind so you can catch these things. Well, this expansion of awareness also tends to, and maybe some of you have noticed this as well, that um, while you're following the breath at the tip of the nose, you're not just aware of a few strong sensations here or there in the body that happen to be you know, strong enough to, to particularly register in your awareness. But at some point, you start becoming just more and more aware of the whole body as you're following the breath. You, know, and you haven't been trying to suppress anything, but what you realize is that that your, your awareness is starting to include more and more of the rest of the body. And this will, without doing what we deliberately did earlier, it will often happen that uh, a yogi that's practicing meditation will start, they can't help but just feel the, the whole body with the breath because the mindful awareness is now including all of it's so strong. It's like we, we have, uh, to use our analogy before, we have our flashlight. It's shining on that object right there, and it has an area of illumination that picks up all these other peripheral thoughts and sensations. But now we're making it brighter and brighter and brighter. And as we make it brighter, everything expands. Even, even the brightest area in the center now includes more and more. And of course, the other sensations in the body are closely related to the sensations at the nose. And to the degree that they're changing with the breath, it becomes more and more difficult to disregard them so that while you're following the sensations of the breath at the nose, you can't help but be aware of the movement of the abdomen, the movement of the chest, things like that. You know what I'm talking about from your own experience? Have you found that happening in meditation? Okay. Now, still at this stage, you're your object is just to continue to be aware of the sensations at the nose. It's not to stop that from happening, so you let that happen. Uh, but as you can see uh, with the little practice that we did here this morning, you can make use of this. You can make use of this in, uh, 
when you when you stabilize your focus enough so that gross distractions and strong dullness are no longer a problem, then you want to start doing a practice that corresponds to the fifth of the stages that I've described. And that's a practice where you want to become aware of any tendency of your mind to slip into dullness at all and correct for it. So you're no longer tolerant of the subtle dullness that makes it easy to stay focused on the meditation object. Now, you, what you expect of yourself is that you're not going to lose any of the vividness and clarity of perception. You're still going to remain focused on it to the exclusion of gross distractions. So you're going to remain focused on it, but not by sacrificing, not by relaxing a bit and stepping back from it, but staying really on top of it. Not only that, if you can, you're going to further increase the power of your awareness. So in the fifth stage, that's the main thing that you have in your mind. You're always sort of introspectively examining the state of your mind and the quality of your perception of the meditation object. And if you feel like there's a loss of clarity, you're going to try to brighten it up. And then you can use this awareness in a larger part of your body as a way of helping to do that. Because as uh, uh, the lady at the back, sorry, I don't know your name. Anyway, as she said, she noticed that, and I think you all noticed this, that when you tried to observe the sensations in a larger area, there was immediately a loss in the, the distinctness and clarity of the sensation. But if you do this repeatedly with the idea in mind that you're going to try to have as clear an awareness of the larger area as you did in the past of the smaller area, you are in effect training yourself to a, a stronger level of mindful awareness. You see that? Follow that? That's the only way that you can perceive the sensations in your entire arm with the same degree of clarity that you could just those in your hand is that the, the power of the flashlight has to be cranked up in arm. And if you expand that to your both arms and your whole torso, once again, in order to have that, that same degree of vividness and clarity, it's got to become light's got to come even brighter. So that's the direction you're moving. Some of you may have, even in that brief exercise, noticed the difference. But if you do this repeatedly, the, the difference it induces is profound. And then if you come back to focusing on the sensations at the tip of the nose, well, you know, it's, it's like you come into a small room with a huge halogen floodlight on. Everything is just really crisp and, crisp and clear. So this, this is a way of not only overcoming even the most subtle tendency to dullness, but actually increasing your mindful awareness. And the other thing that I already mentioned that you notice doing this is that there are fewer thoughts and less awareness of other sensations when you come back uh, here. And actually, you probably know, might have noticed that throughout the exercise. Although, admittedly, if you're 
if your attention is still not not stable, not solid, but tending to waver, and I think you, you might not have experienced this quite so much. But the principle behind what's happening here, yeah, let me explain it this way. <clears throat> when you're sitting with your eyes closed, the two strongest sources of distraction that you have are thoughts and bodily sensations. Would you agree with that? Okay. And they're both very strong. But the one that's most difficult to overcome are thoughts. You know, uh, yeah, overcome in the sense of <clears throat> they, except for a strong pain, they have consistently more power to draw your attention away or to make you work harder to remain focused than other bodily sensations do. So, so we have bodily sensations and thoughts, the strongest distractions we have. So what we're doing here, in effect, is putting all of our attention in bodily sensation and then essentially consuming the available bandwidth of our mind to try to be aware of a lot of sensations at once. It doesn't re leave much room in conscious awareness for thoughts. It basically pushes them right out to the side. So this practice is a way of, you know, if you sit experiencing the whole body with the breath, doing your best to have the highest level of awareness you can of the entire body, you're going to find this very little thinking that you're aware of. Yes? And this is why I don't understand why it is in the sixth stage. Why is it not in the beginning? We had all the experience this morning. We went right and mm -hmm. better and more concentrated. And I know from my own practice of yoga that when you start with the gross body and then go internally through body-mind awareness, you are more easily than to do the meditation. So why is it part of the sixth stage? Well, because when people do this, it haven't in, the, in the first stages, we're really training directed and sustained attention, and we're increasing the level of mindful awareness you have. And we're also training you to not just be exclusively focused in, in, in the sort of outward direction towards the sensations, but also the inward direction towards what's happening in our mind. If that hasn't happened yet, then you, uh, you, you start off uh, you know, doing this kind of scan and trying to focus on multiple areas, and you'll still experience mind wandering. You know, you, you'll, you'll forget what you're supposed to be doing, and your mind will go off on a world cruise. So it, it's better to just stay with the simple sensations here until you get past that process, until you, until you get past the mind wandering, until you get past the forgetting, and, to, and pretty much until you get to the point where you are aware when, when you don't truly have the meditation object at the center of your focus. Now there is another reason too, and that's that there's a real payoff, and this, in the fifth and sixth stages, we're starting to approach the point where this becomes more and more important. There's a real payoff to the fact that, that you spent so many hours observing the sensations of the breath of the nose, 
But, boy, you just know everything that you could possibly know about that. I mean, they are really familiar. You know, you, 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 you know the different kinds of sensations that are there, and you know how they tend to change, and how, different, how they are at one time, and how they are at another, how the pauses get longer and shorter, and you know, they're just, it's just so familiar. You want that familiarity. So that's another reason. But I think the main reason is that, you know, I have tried uh, a little bit with people to, who really weren't at the fourth or fifth stage to try doing the experience of the whole body of the breath. And generally, the result is they find it very frustrating, very difficult, and not helpful. On the other hand, at about that point where the awareness is just spontaneously expanding anyway, and you do have that focus, it works really well. Not everybody needs to use it. Not everybody likes it. Some people absolutely love it as a method. And some people would just as soon not bother with it. But uh, I'd, I'd say that uh, the majority of people, when they get to this particular state, it, it's uh, a great advantage to use it, at least for a little while. But that was a good comment about the yoga, because it's, it, it is similar in that way. And that's why you, when you're doing this and you're aware of the whole body, and then you bring the focus back down to the tip of the nose, that's when you really see it. And so if you were using this practice, uh, when you do use this practice, that's the idea, that you always come back to that narrow focus. And then, uh, with that enhanced mindful awareness, and with whatever degree of single-pointedness, quite often after you've spent uh, you know, five or ten minutes experiencing the whole body with the breath, and you come back to the tip of your nose, it, it, it'll be totally single-pointed. That's all you, all there is there is those sensations, and they just completely fill your awareness. And there's no thoughts, and there's no nothing else. After a few minutes, you know, the, the other distractions will start to come back again, and at some point you decide, okay, that this this uh, uh, level of awareness and single-pointed focus has deteriorated to the extent that you're ready to go back and you do the whole body again. And so you can go back and forth between them, and, and you'll extend more and more the period of time when you can uh, sustain that kind of single-pointed focus. Other questions? Comment? So, now, usually at this point, somebody's thinking about, you know, they can say, see where this is going. They say, okay, what good's it going to do me to sit and for an hour, and all I'm aware of is the sensations of the breath and absolutely nothing else in my mind. What good is that? There's some magical thing about the breath that if I watch it long enough, without much focus, that uh, something's going to happen. Uh, it's actually a thought that not just people listening to me and seeing where this is going, but 
people get to the seventh stage and they have that thought as well. The seventh stage, you have that kind of single-pointed focus that you can, you know, you sit down and you may have some distraction in the beginning and it may take a little while, but you can pretty consistently and, and more quickly all the time get to the point where there is just the sensations of the breath. And there, usually the breath becomes very fine, very shallow. Uh, if you have practiced properly up to this point, in terms of cultivating powerful mindful awareness, even though the breath is very, very fine, very shallow, the sensations are intense. Sometimes the intensity is amazing. The breath is so shallow that one thought will come is, is how can I stay alive breathing only this small amount? But on the other hand, the intensity of the awareness of that air, that little tiny bit of air, those little sips of air that move in and out through your nose, is so intense that, that you all the other thought is, it gets any more intense, I'm not going to be able to stand this. <laughs> Breathing becomes almost painful in its intensity. Um, not always, but the fact is that you're very focused, your awareness of breath is very clear, and the breath is very, very calm, very quiet. And the thoughts that you do have, you still have thoughts, but you don't have a continuous stream of thoughts. It's just the occasional thought. And the occasional thought that you have is more like a conversation somebody else is having in a corner that you're not a part of. Very much in, in the background, like whispers. It's like you, you're not, the, the content of the thought isn't really registering. Although you could pay attention to it, but you're, but you're, you're not intending. And the only sensations that you're aware of are, are the strong ones. You know, if there is an ache in your hip, you're aware of that. <coughs> but most of the other sensations in your body, uh, you know, you, you're just disregarding them. You're, you're oblivious to them. If there is uh, an unusual sound, uh, then, of course, you notice it. But you're sort of filtering out all of the ordinary, like, the, the traffic noise and the sounds of air conditioners. All the ordinary sounds are just, you don't have any problem at all disregarding them. There's none of that feeling of the mind being pulled towards a sound or some thought popping up in response to the sound or some thought coming about a sensation in your body. Quite amazing from the perspective of somebody who is in an earlier stage of meditation and it's hard to imagine being that focus and staying that focus. And of course, when you're experiencing that at first, it's, yeah, you're quite pleased with yourself and quite amazed with yourself. But then, if it just stays that way, it'll start being really tedious. And it's interesting, you'll start to experience restlessness and impatience. And you'll start to have thoughts doubtful thoughts, like, you know, like, okay, so this is great, huh? watching these sensations hour after hour, what is the point anyway? 
and that's one of the most difficult things about the seventh stage is that tedious now tediousness. Now, it stays tedious because, well, for one thing, you have this marvelous single-pointedness, but it's very fragile, it's very vulnerable, and you have to be constantly on guard because if you just relax, you'll slip back and all of the distractions will start to come up again. As a matter of fact, what will happen is you'll be in this really clear, stable place and you start to relax and all of a sudden you're mind-wandering like somebody who just started meditating for the first time. But all of a sudden you're falling asleep and it's like, wow, how did that happen? So you really, you have to maintain this vigilance because this, this uh, uh, single point in this you have is very, very fragile and it's very vulnerable. And to whatever degree you relax, you're, you're going to either slip back into the sixth stage or the fifth stage or the third stage or the second stage. And so you just can't relax. You're continuously maintaining a kind of vigilant effort to stay there. And that's why it makes it te tedious. Then what happens as a state is you start having thoughts that you start engaging, the thoughts of doubt. Or you start having emotions arise, the emotions of restlessness and impatience, which you forget to regard objectively, and instead you identify with. You start sitting there, and you still feel single-pointed, but your attention is actually divided between being single-pointed and thinking about how restless I am, and how dissatisfied I am. Of course, what you need to do when that happens is recognize that not that I am restless or that I am dissatisfied or that I am impatient, but rather restlessness or dissatisfaction and impatience are arising, let them go and return to the exclusive focus. Don't entertain the emotions as self. And when the thoughts, the doubtful thoughts come up, I must be doing something wrong. Uh, this is a lousy method. Maybe I should go do some other kind of practice. Uh, don't engage those thoughts. Recognize them for what they are. They're the hindrance of skeptical doubt. So you let go of them, and you just go back to the practice. The really tricky part in this stage is that at some point you're not going to need to maintain such a level of vigilance anymore. But it's hard to know when you've arrived at that point. And what happened with me is I had been in this tedious stage for way too long because, uh, well, a part of my nature has always been to be in control. And in that stage to have, and, and it's sort of a perfectionist. I'm kind of a perfectionist and I like to be in control and I like to have things exactly in a certain way. And uh, when they stop being that way, you know, I. I immediately want to do something about them and make them the way they should be. And so I spent a long time, seven stages of perfect trap for somebody like me. Because here I have this perfect single-pointedness and 
as soon as it starts to go away, you know, I fix it, you know, and I have in my mind the goal that it's not even going to waver by the by a, a micron from from perfect center focus. And so I have I, I was experiencing all of the doubt and the restlessness and the tediousness struggling with that. And then one day I was visited by some uh, bodhisattva angel flies, a special kind of fly. They look and sound and behave exactly like ordinary flies. So it's hard to tell the difference. And you have to. But I was sitting and meditating, nice single-pointedness, and also this, you know, this sense of, you know, I, I, something's got to change. And then these flies come. I think there are about three of them. And one lands here, and then crawling there, and then they fly away. You know, there's enough of them, so there's always at least one on my face. And when it leaves, another one comes back. Sometimes there's two. Sometimes there's three. And, you know, investigate <coughs> the ears. And, and I am determined that I'm going to stay single-pointed. I'm going to not even notice these flies. And I get pretty good at it. Every time, every time I become aware of the flies, I just bring my focus back and stay there. You know, uh, there's an awareness of these flies crawling around, but it's, that awareness is right out on the edge. Because I'm staying really focused. It's right out on the edge, but my awareness is strong enough that I, I know every time they're gone, you know, and there's this state of apprehension that a crazy place is here. Are they going to have that? And finally, the senior archangel Bodhisattva <laughs> sent the others away and came back and exploring inside my nostrils and around my eyes and everything. And mustered in me the strongest control, the most intense control that I think I was capable of. And then it went away. And so there was this, I'm ready when that body comes back. It's not going to disturb my concentration. And I was waiting and ready. And I was ready and I was waiting. I was waiting and I was ready. And then all of a sudden, there's this realization of maybe it's not going to come back, and I just let go. And concentration was easy, and my body was flooded with pleasure, and I was finished with this feeling of joy. And, and, and you know, just like just like I just like my teachers had told me, just like the textbooks had said, pity and sukha, pity the the joy. Sukha, pleasure in the body, happiness in the mind, and total effortless concentration. So I was sitting here bathed, bathed in this joy and happiness, and, and I didn't have to do anything. Those sensations of the breath were just taking care of themselves right there in the middle of my awareness. And I didn't have to do anything at all. Mm -hmm. And it 
it was it took me a while to repeat that experience and especially to learn how to repeat that experience. But the essence of it was letting go. It was when it's when I relaxed because I thought the fly wasn't gonna come back anymore. And obviously I'd already trained my mind enough that I was capable of effortless single pointedness. And so there it was, once I stopped trying, once I stopped having the need to keep struggling against it. But as I said, it, uh, being the kind of person I am, it took, it took quite a while to train myself not to be in control. Because of course, having this uh, state of effortless concentration, and especially with the, the bodily pleasure and the joy and the satisfaction that comes with it. The satisfaction is maybe the biggest thing, you know, because this is a goal that I've known about. This is a stage, you know, and it's been a long time in coming when the satisfaction had it. All of that adds up to a desire, and a desire translates to a need to do and to make happen and so forth. Yet, the secret to it happening is just letting go. It's just Trusting, trusting that when you bring yourself to a state of single-pointedness, that you don't have to do anything anymore because your mind's been trained, it'll, it'll keep you there, and you can stay there. So. Most people will experience some degree of that tediousness in the seventh stage. And they'll have to put up with it until they're capable of single-pointedness. A lot of people don't have sort of an abrupt transition like I did, and they'll actually have a lot more satisfaction in that stage because they will have uh, a lot of bodily sensations that are very unusual that make the meditation interesting rather than tedious. They will have visual phenomena that make it interesting. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they'll have auditory phenomena. The visual, I used to think that the visual phenomenon was universal, but I don't think it is now. Uh, as a matter of fact, there are people who are most likely to have uh, the visual phenomenon of an internal light, and then there's the other group of people that are far more likely to have a sensation of strong energy movement in their body and not have an experience of an inner light. Or if they do have experience of inner light, that comes later. But um, what's very typical in this stage, though, are uh, these two kinds of things. The changes in body perception, well, one of the things that happens is, as I said, uh, you're only aware of the strongest sensations, and your mind's just basically ignoring the other bodily sensations. But at some point, you have an experience of stillness, and it just seems that, you know, all ordinary sensations disappear. Uh, the stillness of your body is is so perfect that you hate to move even when the bell rings. It's just any to move at all is to disturb this perfect stillness and uh, to go back to a, a body that's never going to be quite comfortable. And so you'd rather just stay in. Stillness. 
But sometimes people don't have that right away. Instead, what they have is they'll have uh, they'll have a, a feeling of electric currents that move in their body, or sometimes they'll have feeling of like a cold wind, or uh, you know, have a, a itchy, prickly feeling. Some people say that you know they feel like they have bugs or ants crawling all over them. All sorts of strange sensations. Usually, if there's a feeling of energy currents moving in the body, or electrical feelings in the body, there's often movements, too. The person will find the body starts to rock or to sway, different kind of movements, or sometimes jerk. So there's a lot of different kinds of sensations and movements which can precede you coming into this delightful stillness. Um, the stillness will be followed eventually in time by a, 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 a very exquisite feeling of pleasure that just fills your whole body. So you very much have body awareness, but it's not normal body awareness. You're not aware of the weight of your body against the cushion. You're not aware of the sensation of your clothes against your skin. You're not aware of hot and cold sensations from the air. You're not aware, you're absolutely all completely gone are the aches and, and pains and, and itches and tickles and things like that that have been a part of your meditation experience. But there is this awareness of your body. Um, and uh, at some point it does become a distinctly pleasurable awareness. Uh, often associated with that is a feeling of like effervescence. You know how you pour a soda into a glass and all the little tiny bubbles form on the inside of the glass. And you'll have the, the pleasant feeling will actually be as though you have zillions of little microscopic bubbles just under your skin. And it just feels sort of delightful. So you may or may not experience any of those two some degree or another, but most likely you'll experience some of those. Some can, I, I just mentioned, some of them can be quite uncomfortable too. Some of the itches and some of the uh, energy currents, uh, some of these sensations can be very uncomfortable. Often there are other things that happen, you start to salivate a lot, you might find tears, your nose might run, uh, you might find yourself sweating. Some people will experience a little bit of dizziness or vertigo. It's not always immediately pleasant, but it usually ends up being predominated by a sensation of pleasantness uh, and stillness, it's an, an exquisite stillness, which makes it very easy to sit for a long time. The visual phenomenon is a light. Sometimes it's like just a faint light in the distance that gradually goes stronger. Sometimes it's like a sharp pinpoint of light, or maybe little dots that may be colored, they may be white, they may get larger and smaller. They tend, over time, if you just let them develop on themselves, you, you come to an end point where behind your closed eyelids, and so there's this huge space behind your closed eyelids that is totally filled with light, a light that seems to come either seems to come from everywhere 
or sometimes it may seem to be brightest as though it's coming from the top of your head, or sometimes it may seem to be coming from your body. But it, it fills this space that you have an experience of behind your closed eyes. And when you have that, it's really interesting. You can open your eyes for a minute, and it totally disappears. And you close your eyes, and it all comes back. Uh, it's different, different forms with different people. Sometimes somebody will have a bright orb and it will float around and you know, expand and contract. Uh, and these things can be quite entertaining, but they're just distractions. As I say, the end point is usually a, a more diffuse, very light-colored light. Um, <coughs> sometimes white, not always white, but usually very, very pale if it's colored although it may be intensely colored before it develops forward. If you have auditory phenomena, then what you're going to hear is like the sound of uh, uh, buzzing or ringing, or uh, it might be uh, like the sound of music in the distance that you can't quite make out. It can be very pleasant if it's, if it's musical or it's something like that, or it can be not so pleasant. Sometimes it's a, it's a buzzing like, a, like one of these electric alarm clocks or something like that. You know. But not everybody has auditory phenomena. Very few people will have uh, olfactory and gustatory phenomena. They'll smell incense or flowers or they'll taste some sort of nectar in their mouth, something like that. And these are all basically incidental to what's happening. My uh, theory as a person with a background in neuroscience is this is where the parts of your brain that are usually processing sensory information are basically going into a completely different kind of mode where they're producing uh, the equivalent of white noise, white noise of the eyes, white noise of the body, white noise of the ears. And it acts as a kind of insulation of the mind from external distraction. Now back to the seventh stage. What happens in the seventh stage is none of this is fully developed, but you'll get little bits and pieces of this. You'll get moments of joyful feeling. You'll get moments of pleasant feeling in the body. Or you'll get periods of, of uh, itchiness, or you'll get periods of, of, of feeling energy currents in your body. Uh, or you'll get lights that flash different colors and then pass away. You know, you'll get bits and pieces of this. But uh, what they are is indications of what's to come. And they do, they'll make the seventh stage a lot more interesting. And what they seem to represent is, uh, well, there are, there are foretastes of what's to come. I should probably let you have a break and then come back and I'll explain to you how this relates to what comes afterwards.